This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexo series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. What's up, Startup Nation? This is Benny Mathers, producer for The Startup Life with Dominic Lawson. Quick programming note here that we recorded this episode with Chief Ethics Officer Rob Chestnut earlier, but since then he has transitioned out of his role. So don't be confused if he has mentioned that within this interview. Hope you enjoy it. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. So, you know, Startup Nation, when we're diving into our business and we're building our businesses, we, we focus on sales. We focus on building relationships. But one of the things we also should definitely focus on is ethics and integrity. And we have the perfect guest to kind of help us out with that today. He is a graduate at the University of Virginia and Harvard Law. He's a former federal prosecutor for the Department of Justice, and he is currently the chief ethics officer at Airbnb. He is also the author of Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. He is the one and only Rob Chestnut. How's it going, Rob? Man, what an intro. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Dominic? I can't complain. I can't complain. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? I'm going to try. I'll do the best I can here. All right. So let's do it. So, Rob, if you would, please, sir, just kind of share with us your origin story and your background, if you would, please, sir. Sure. Um, you know, I grew up in Virginia, um, You know, went to law school, spent the early part of my career in the Justice Department. I used to prosecute drug dealers, bank robbers, armored car robbers. Wow. You know, some of the some of the the older members of your audience um, may have heard of Aldrich James. He gotcha. was a, a CIA employee who sp uh, famously spied for the Russians. Mm. So I prosecuted Aldrich James. I happened to wow. be uh, the lawyer that did that. Um, but you know what? It, I, it's hard being a prosecutor in that it's, it's a very negative job. Mm. You know, you're kind of presiding over the, the end of someone's, professional life. You know, they're going to go to jail for a long period of time. And I really wanted to do something positive. I love business. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started looking around about how I could make that transition. And I was really lucky, Dominic, there was a little company in the jurisdiction where I was a prosecutor gotcha. that everybody kept calling me about. And I finally, I said, you know, I've got to, I got to dig in on this. I got to find out what this company does. And the name of the company was America Online, AOL. Right. You know, they grew up, they were in Reston, Virginia. Right. And so I, I got their disc, stuck it into my computer and plugged my phone line into my back of my computer. 
And that's when the internet sort of opened up for me. I'm like, wow, this internet thing looks pretty cool. I think it might actually, you know, have some legs. So I started using different uh, sites on the internet. And one of the sites I uh, started using was eBay. Okay. Uh, And I started using eBay to buy and sell photography equipment. And it, it sort of hit me one night that, wow, you know, I bet you that eBay's got problems with fraud and illegal items and government regulation. I wonder if they could use a federal prosecutor. So I looked on the website. I, I honestly, I didn't know where San Jose, California was. I kind of been to LA before. That was it. Right. Um, they didn't have any jobs open on the website, but you know, I, I figured it can't hurt. So I sent sent my resume to jobs at eBay.com and figured, you know, I'll never hear anything from them. And gotcha. come home from work the next day, and there's a voice message. Um, I was having dinner with Meg Whitman a week later, right. out in California. And I quit it all and moved to the West Coast and became, I was employee 170 at eBay um, and uh, ran North America legal for them and started uh, and ran their trust and safety department. You know, so uh, sort of tried to figure out how you stop fraud in uh, Internet platforms and built out a team of 2000 people um, to do that. And then uh, after 10 years at eBay, I became the general counsel at a company called Chegg. And that, that's for the the uh, the younger millennial audience uh, will know Chegg uh, as the textbook. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, from Chegg, I became the general counsel at Airbnb. Um, and I've been the, was the general counsel at Airbnb for uh, almost four years and moved over um, uh, to become their chief ethics officer um, and sort of getting into the whole concept of integrity in companies. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Really quick follow-up question. Kind of share with us those early days of eBay, because I'm always fascinated about, you know, companies in the Valley and those origin stories. Just kind of share with us your experience in those early days, just a little bit. Yeah. It was quite an ex- interesting experience coming from government, right? right. You know, you, um, I, I, I remember coming out uh, and the whole company was on two floors of, uh, of one building. I'm thinking, man, oh, man, I quit my safe government job. And, you know, it all depends on this uh, this relatively small group of people. And in my first couple of months, I noticed that the website was having trouble. Mm. Like you sometimes you go into the website and it was like not working. Um, and at one point, the website went down for 23 hours. And we're talking about serious outages at that point. I mean, the, the traffic to the web, you know, the good news is there was a lot of traffic Absolutely. to the website and it was very popular. The bad news was that we couldn't handle it. <laughs> and um, so uh, you know, I'll tell you, it was, you know, the, the CEO sleeping in the ops room. Um, it, it was, um, it was exciting. Um, and it was, um, uh, it was an interesting time to be in the Valley, but, uh, I, I tell you, I loved the I loved the energy. I loved the idea that we were connecting people around a common passion. And we were actually enabling people to make money, um, which I thought was really cool. That's what I wanted. I wanted to get out of this world of putting people in jail. Right. And I wanted to get into this idea that people from different parts of the world actually have more in common than they realize. And what we need is we need to start to understand each other and get closer to each other as human beings. And we got to enable commerce. So for me, eBay was like right in line with what my passions were all about. And, you know, with, with 170 people, everybody's chipping in and everybody's got a role in the business. And that's I don't know, that's what I love about startups. That's what I love about entrepreneurialism. And that's what eBay was like. 
I hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Rob Chestnut, Chief Ethics Officer of Airbnb and the author of Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. So let's dive into the book, uh, shall we? So, uh, and, and you can share this if you want, Rob. That's totally up to you. But I know uh, the, the book was kind of pushed back a little bit because people, you know, given this, uh, our new normal COVID-19 and the pandemic, uh, people have been reaching out to you as far as like, you know, ethics and stuff like that. And you're actually writing another chapter in the book. Kind of share with us of that a little bit, if you would. Right. You know, I thought the book was done. You know, I, right. it, it, it was January. I kicked back. Uh, <laughs> I was really you know, excited to finally get this thing. Is it the, I've been working on the project for about 18 months because I had a full-time job. Right. You know, I was you know, running the Airbnb legal department while I was doing this book. So I'm thinking, thank goodness I finally got this done. And I didn't realize fully what you know how the COVID nineteen, which was you know basically just in China at that point, right. was going to take over you know the life uh, for the rest of the world. And so you know I uh, you know they shut the offices down. Uh, I, I get back home and somebody says to me, "Hey Rob, too bad about this COVID nineteen thing. How's that going to impact your book? You know, is anybody going to care about integrity um, when you know when business?" is focusing just on survival. And I know my immediate response was, you know, now more than ever, Absolutely. it's important, Absolutely. right? And um, But then I realized, you know, the book doesn't really talk about integrity in a crisis. So the publisher, I get on the phone with the publisher, we talk about it for a while. And he's like, look, you got some great points about integrity in a crisis. And let's, let's stop right now. Let's add another chapter. Um, we'll push the book back another uh, month and a half. Uh, but let's get let's. It's important, and this is such an uh, this is such a life changing, world changing event. We need to address it in the book. So that's why we pushed it back, and um, I'm actually just just working on the draft of it uh, right before we we got on this call. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I actually I actually feel a little little cheated here because I have the original version uh, of the book sitting in front of me, and I don't have that. But you got it for account. free. You that's got true. it for free. That, for the that, that is true. We're that, gonna is make you that is the trade off. <laughs> but Startup Nation, if you want the full book, you can go to the uh, you can go to wherever you get your favorite books: Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can check out uh, local bookstore. Local bookstore, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're listening to the replay on the podcast, you can click the link in the web in the show notes uh, for easy access. So, uh, Rob, I want to ask you this because I think you really set the tone early in the book for what it's, it talks about, and you sum it up with a very show, short. Uh, but powerful quote, and it says, "Quote ambiguity." Uh, and, and I'm sorry, ambiguity is the enemy of integrity. End quote. And yeah. so, and I thought that was just so uh, so profound. But kind of talk about why not hiding and playing around in those gray areas is so important when it comes to teg- integrity and ethics in a company. Well, you know, I learned I learned it from uh, a guy at Duke University by the name of Dan Ariely. You know, Dan Ariely is a behavioral scientist at Duke University, and he's written a number of books. He's even got a movie. Not so many behavioral psycholo- psychiatrists have or psychologists have movie, but right. he's got a movie called Dishonesty. He's got a bunch of great TED Talks. He studies dishonesty. This is what he does for a living. Right. He does um, a, a number of fascinating experiments. So I talk about a couple of them in the book. But his point is that we all think we have integrity, right? right? We all think that we're good people. But in reality, we're actually kind of easy on ourselves, right? Because we all see the world through our own eyes. Right. And in every situation, we, are, we, we tend to be biased toward ourselves, and we'll give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and we'll we'll fudge a little bit, 
I'll, I'll give you an example of one of his experiments. Sure. He, he fills up a room with students and gives them a sheet of math problems and says, I'm not going to give you enough time to do all the math problems, but start doing the math problems. And when I tell you to put your pencil down, put your pencil down. So time starts. People are working on math problems. He says, stop. He says, I want you to come up to the front of the room with your paper. I want you to put your, your worksheet, your, your math problems that you've been working on, I want you to put them in a shredder right here in the front of the room. And then I want you to tell the proctor, how many problems did you finish? And for every problem you, you tell the proctor that you finished, you're going to get a dollar. So what he doesn't tell people is that the shredder only shreds the outer edges of the piece of paper. He actually knows exactly how many problems everybody in the room has done. So Dominic, how many, what percentage of people do you think uh, tell the truth? In a situation like that, uh, I don't want to be lazy and go 50 50. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 70 30 in favor of the truth. It's actually the opposite. Oh, Only wow. 30% of people tell the truth. Wow. And he's done this, he's replicated this experiment, tens of thousands of people, different places all around the world, There's different socioeconomic backgrounds. It doesn't matter. Everybody fudges. Everybody fudges a little bit. Now, they don't, most of them don't cheat by a wide margin. They'll do it just by a couple of problems, but they can do that because they can still, if they're just fudging a little bit, they can still feel good about themselves. And that's the point about integrity. People will, will do things that are slanted in their favor as long as they can still feel good about themselves. So what he does on the next experiment, he does the same experiment, but this time at the beginning of the experiment, he says to everybody, before you start on the math problems, I want you to write down as many of the 10 commandments as you can remember at the top of the page. Now, nobody can remember all 10 of the 10 commandments, right? Right. But it has an interesting impact on the experiment. Cheating goes from 70% down to virtually zero simply by reminding people of their better selves, Right. right? So the point behind this is if you create an environment where people are reminded about integrity, and where you give people specifics about what's expected of them, the better selves will come out and cheating and lying go down. But if you have an environment where you simply say, okay, do good and assume everybody's going to do their best, that's an environment of ambiguity mm. where people are free to interpret for themselves what they think is right or wrong. And inevitably, they're going to interpret it in a way that favors their own personal interest. I that. So that's part of the point of intentional integrity. You need to be specific. You need to talk to people about what's expected of them. And you need to be to let them know what is allowed, what's not allowed, what's expected and what's not expected. Um, and in that way, you get a higher level of behavior from people. And Rob, I imagine that's super important, uh, not just for a a large company like an Airbnb or eBay, but also for our small business owners and startups as well. Because uh, I imagine that, you know, setting that expectation uh, for, you know, the proper proper integrity uh, uh, goes a long way when you begin it, not just, uh, you know, that comes from the top, uh, but also comes from, you know, the very start of a company, the very beginning of a venture. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. Oh, the, the tone is set at a company right from the beginning. Right. And what you find is that it's, it's actually not easy to change course once it's started. Interesting. Right. So uh, how you, how you start out in a company when it's small has a big impact on where you end up uh, because people 
people take their cues from leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And in the early days, obviously, the, the leader is right there working side by side, shoulder to shoulder with everybody else. So you are on display and your integrity is on display. Right. How you respond to particular situations has a major impact on all those around you. And by the way, those are the people that are going to hire your next generation. And those are the people that are going to be role models for the next group that you hire. So if you don't start off right, if you start off and you're not thinking about integrity and you are doing a number of things that um, are ethically challenged, um, you are going to create a permissive environment where now it look, integrity is like uh, it, it's really like a disease in a way. Mm. It it is contagious. Right. It spreads. Those so on the on the good side, it spreads. Being a positive role model spreads. But if you do not act with integrity, that spreads like wildfire. Absolutely. And it's tough to change. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. And it, it's funny you mentioned that because, uh, you know, as you know, we're all going through this world pandemic, you know, COVID-19 and stuff like that. And in the beginning days of when it kind of became, I guess, at the forefront uh, of our minds here in the United States, uh, we were seeing people buying pallets and pallets of like, you know, right before uh, like of hand sanitizer and toilet tissue and stuff like that. And then trying to resell it at this, uh, you know, astronomical uh, rate that's not normal uh, during normal standards, you know, price gouging and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So, Rob, I want to ask you this, you know, when it comes to that uh, regard, when it comes to, you know, um, uh, raising prices at certain moments and stuff like that, when does it get to a point where you're trying to cover certain costs uh, and when did it get, does it get to, in your opinion, get to a point Fast. of gouging? Fascinating ethical question, right? right. And it, again, this this just gets right back to the point of how everyone is going to look at this, absolutely. You know, through their own eyes. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I, I went into a Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about six weeks ago, I guess now. And I I was doing a little shopping, and um, one thing I wanted to get was some hand sanitizer. Gotcha. And of course, you couldn't get hand sanitizer anywhere, right? right? So right. I so there's a I noticed there's a worker. I go over to the area where the hand sanitizer was being, and I didn't. There was, this shelf was empty, so I, I look at the guy who's a worker there and say, "You guys don't have any hand sanitizer, do you?" And I knew what the answer would be. Right, the answer is going to be no, because right. the answer was no everywhere. Right. Only the guy looks at me, and he says, "You know what? I think we just got some in in the back. I'll be right back." Gotcha. Okay. So a minute later, he comes back with a box, and it's that box has got forty-eight two-ounce bottles of hand sanitizer. Okay, mm-hmm. not big bottles, but 48 bottles of them. Right. He puts it down right in front of me and he looks at me. And I know what he's thinking and he knows what I'm thinking. Mm. The store's closing in five minutes and he's wondering <laughs> <laughs> how many bottles is this guy going to buy? Right. right? Um, now, a num- number of options run through my head in that moment, right? I, I could buy one because there's only one of me, right? And maybe I could let the next 47 people get one bottle. Right. Um, they're small bottles, though, Dominic. I mean, maybe maybe it'll be okay for me to get two because they're small. And by the way, I've got wife, a couple of kids at home. Right. What is it okay for me to get two bottles for each member of my household? Right. You know what? Maybe toilet paper is running low. Maybe I buy all 48 bottles of it, and then I use it to barter with some of those jerks that bought up all the toilet paper right. uh, the previous month. Right. Or maybe I should buy all 48 bottles 
and drop them off at a retirement home because they probably need it more than I do. Absolutely. What's the right ethical answer? And I think the right the right answer is any of those might be right depending on your perspective. Right. And and I, I was watching an interview on television. Um, they were interviewing a guy who, as soon as the uh, it became apparent that that items like you know the the antibacterial wipes and hand sanitizer were going to be popular, right. the guy got in his truck. He drove all out into the outlying areas, right. and he went to all the little stores and bought up everything he could buy. Filled up, filled up like one of those storage. Absolutely. Things. Yep. And in fact, they they filmed him pulling up the the garage door, <laughs> and the thing was stuffed with this thing, right? It was. And he and he was going to sell it for this amount of money, and they and they asked him that question, and you know what his response was? He said, "I'm actually doing everyone a favor. I have I am efficiently getting the product from places where it wasn't yet being used." And getting it out to people who need it the most. Right. And isn't it fair, of course, that I should get compensated for Absolutely. my gas, my time, my storage facility, and the right. like, right. right? So even someone like this, someone who is the, um, you know, the uh, the price gouger, the one that we all hate, the one that cleaned out all the shelves and right. was making a big profit, even that person looking at it through their own eyes thinks that what they did is ethical. Absolutely. I mean, and, and so, you know, what I call for, and again, the, what's the intentional integrity answer? Well, the intentional integrity answer is um, Trader Joe, what Trader Joe should have done is Trader Joe should have immediately recognized the issues right. and put up a little sign and said two per person per day, right? two per household per day. In other words, create us to tell us what as the person that's in the supply chain here, you tell us what you think is ethical, and then we all will live and abide by that same rule, right? Now we're all operating under the same set of rules. Because if I bought one, I guarantee you the next person that came in would buy 47, right? Somebody's going to grab all of them. And then any good that I was really trying to do to others would be washed away. Right. What we need is we need someone to say, hey, this is the right way to do it. We're going to create our values based upon what we believe at Trader Joe's is the right thing to do. And we're going to ask all those who shop here to abide by those values. That, I think, is the, the better approach. That way you get away from the ambiguity where we're all free to do what we think we can rationalize to ourselves is best. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, Startup Nation, what I hear in that answer, uh, you know, it, it's not just about the small business owner uh, engaging in that integrity and that ethics or whatever the case may be, but also the consumer as well. Because, Rob, you talked about how, you know, should I buy just two for me? I also have family members. Should I just buy two uh, for each of members of my household, but also being that good neighbor, especially in times like these requires that, you know, that type of thinking and make sure we're, we're looking out and thinking about our, our neighbors as well. So Rob, I appreciate that. And by the way, for those, every, I know everybody's dying to know I bought 10. Okay. I bought two for each member of my family. Fair enough. That'll be eight of us. Right. And then I bought two more for my next door neighbor gotcha. who often gets the mail for me when I'm out. And I wanted to do a nice little gesture because I know that she can probably use some. Well, but go. that just goes to show that there's there's not one right ethical answer. I hear that. Anybody could come up with an answer. I feel like that's a, that was a good number because the bottles were small, but two was an appropriate number for me. Right. But why not one? Why not three? Why not all 48? And Startup Nation, in the book, Intentional Integrity, Rob has all of these moments called code moments where it kind of brings up these type of scenarios. And in the back of the book, in the appendix, he has like 
you know, for, you know, where he furthers the discussion uh, on those code moments. And I, I really appreciate books like that, Rob, because it extends the content. It extends the conversation to really have those those moments to kind of think about, you know, wow, I never thought of it that way because you were just talking about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, based on certain values and upbringings, like, you know, the, the correct course of action could go in many different ways. But kind of talk about those cold moments that you have in a book a little bit, if you would, Rob. Well, you know, the, the great thing about you know, being in the, the world of ethics and integrity mm-hmm. is that you don't have to be very creative. These things, they, they happen in real life. I hear that. So all of the, the stories that are uh, that are code moments, they're things that are composites of things that have actually happened, either to me in the in companies where I've worked, or I've also been an investor and advisor to a number of companies, and I've got friends that work at other companies, and these are all stories that I've collected over my career. So these are things that actually happen in life. You know, when when we do ethics uh, integrity training at Airbnb, I don't have to use hypotheticals. I use real examples of things that have actually happened at Airbnb, and. There's something that's really compelling about it when you're in the room talking to new employees at Airbnb and you share with them the stories of things that have actually happened to other employees in their position. Right. Um, it's a lot more interesting. It really gets people's attention. And then I tell I tell all the new employees, I say, I guarantee you sometime in your first year, you're going to have an integrity moment. Something is going to happen that's going to force you to think for a minute about what's the right thing to do here, not, not just the legal thing. But, you know, maybe it's a vendor that's giving you an expensive present, mm. um, you know, or you know, trying to influence your buying decision. Right. Or maybe you're going to be asked to be an advisor um, to a company. Um, and is there a conflict of interest? Or, you know, your supplier is offering you a, a particularly good price. But where is the supplier getting their goods? Right. And what sort of labor is making the goods that you're buying? And should that matter to you? Um, or maybe it's just an office party where alcohol is being served. How much should you be drinking at a party? Right. Interesting questions that, that everybody gets confronted with every day. And it's, it, it's, I think, important to think about that stuff and think about it in advance. Absolutely. You know, Rob, if I could, quick follow-up question, because you talked about, you know, uh, your role at Airbnb as the chief ethics officer. And you implemented the program, Integrity Belongs Here. Kind of talk about that, what that looks like, you know, and what are some of those key tenants you try to get over to, like, new associates there at Airbnb? Yeah. Oh, well, first of all, I'll talk about what it's not. Because sure, okay. I, because or, or, originally, um, you know, the, the the whole program started for me when I was the general counsel, and Me Too uh, was was coming okay. at that point, and right. then other com- uh, tech lash started. Mm. Uber started getting pounded for the way that things that were going on inside of the company. Right. And I thought, oh man, you know, I'd rather learn from some other people's mistakes here. What could we do to avoid these sorts of problems, right? Because I look, our founders are great, really good, good guys, and they 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 want to do the right thing. Absolutely. Um, but we got five thousand people. By the way, those five thousand people are, are in different countries. They may have different. They, they do have very different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religions. What one person thinks is good or right may be very different from someone else and their legitimate view about it. So um, I started thinking about the question. This is the question that motivated the book. How do you drive integrity into the culture of a company? How do you do it? And I'll tell you, what are the traditional ways that companies do? Well, you know, the first thing, they start with a code of ethics. Um, and the code of ethics is something they usually download off the Internet. 
uh, from another company right. and they take the, the other company's logo off and put their logo on top. Mm. Uh, and then they email it out to everybody in the company and say, okay, everybody, here's our code of ethics. Check a box to certify that you've read it. And then that's it. You never hear about it again. Nobody ever talks about it. Um, or um, that you get a compliance poster, one of those laminated things for 20 bucks that fit your state. And you put it up on the wall in your break room gotcha. um, that nobody ever reads. It's got the little four-point font. Um, or maybe you make everybody watch one of those sexual harassment videos that are an hour or two long that right. some third party produces that everybody hates watching. Um, and it struck me that those sorts of things, um, everybody seems to know that you're doing it because you got to check a box legally. You got to fulfill a legal requirement. It just has to be done. And everybody looks at it that way. Absolutely. They treat it like, oh, oh, do we really have to do this? <laughs> right. Or, oh, yeah, legal needs me to check that box. I haven't checked it yet. Right? Right. Um, that doesn't send a very powerful message about being important. And it doesn't, it doesn't say integrity is important here. So I you know, went to Brian, you know, Brian Chesky, the founder, and, and talked to him about this. And Brian's like, looked at me, and, and I said to him, look, I think we need to do more. Not sure what it looks like yet, but we need to do more. And he looked at me in typical Brian fashion and said, go big, right? Um, and so we did. We actually started rethinking because integrity is important to us. Let's don't be afraid. So many people are afraid to talk about integrity. Let's talk about it. So we started with an orientation program. Um, all new employees already go through orientation at Airbnb. It's a week-long program, 20 to 25 classes you go through. It's pretty expensive. So I went to the orientation folks and said, give me an hour. And they said, an hour? You want an hour to talk about ethics and integrity? Are you trying to drive people away from the company? We're trying to welcome them in. I said, no. I said, I think we can do this in a way that's fine. And they said, well, we do um, blind surveys at the end of orientation. So, you know, we'll, let's see how people react to it. And my fear was that people would be, oh, this is some old guy talking about morals. I don't want to hear it. Right. Um, a month later, Dominic, that class was the number one ranked class by employ by new employees in all of orientation. People were coming up to me. I had a woman come up to me uh, uh, a couple months ago, one of the last ones I did before the uh, the, the offices got closed. Right. She had tears in her eyes, and she said, "You know, I worked at X, you know, big company in the valley before this." She said, "And I left because my manager kept uh, propositioning me," mm. and she said, "I didn't feel comfortable reporting it." She said, if I had heard, if a leader of that company had gotten up and stood up in front of people and actually talked about this openly and made it clear that that sort of behavior wasn't welcome. She said, if I had heard that message at my last company, I'd still be working at the last company, not a reporter. And she looked at me. She said, you have no idea what it means to me to work for a company that really cares about this sort of thing. And I've gotten that message over and over again that. Look, the, the place that you work is your personal brand, and you want to be proud of it. Absolutely. You want to work in a place that has values that are consistent with your own. And the word that, that I kept getting over and over again was, wow, I've never heard a company talk about this openly before, and it feels good. Um, so I think my first message in, in, in with this program is you need to create a code of ethics that's your, that is your own. Not something that you download off the internet because that doesn't feel real. Get a group of employees together. Um, maybe start with somebody else's code of ethics, but put it in your own language. 
you know, ours, our program has a name. It's a, from a, basically, it's like a marketing program. It's called Integrity Belongs Here. Right. And it comes from the fact that at Airbnb, our mission is around belonging. We try to create belonging through immersive travel. So you, any meetings you go to at Airbnb, any company meetings, like everyone's always talking about belonging. So we took the word belonging and said, all right, our program is going to be called Integrity Belongs Here. The code of ethics is something that was written by employees. We got a group together, a good cross-functional group, a diverse group to help write the code and make sure that it was something that was aligned with our company's purpose and values. Um, and then it was something that it wasn't like owned by legal or it wasn't owned by the CEO. It was something that a, a wide number of people felt like they had input in. Um, and then we, when we put it out, we actually had meetings with all the teams. In, in in groups of you know, 50 people and had a conversation with them about it and use real life examples of how real life examples would play out under the code. Um, and it, you know, it got everybody engaged with it um, and it got everybody feeling like, wow, this is really important if a leader at Airbnb is actually taking the time to go around and talk to the teams about it. And if the, the document isn't some legal thing that the law firm gave us. If it's something that's actually written by employees, um, maybe I better look at it, pay attention to it. It, it becomes more real. Startup Nation, what I hear in that answer uh, that Rob just gave is that, look, you know, the that part of, you know, the Integrity Belongs Here program or the Code of Ethics, if you will, that you implement in your company, it doesn't necessarily have to just be all exclusive and unilaterally come from the top. I think it's also important to in, in, incorporate uh, your team members in part of the process to creating that Code of Ethics to ultimately, ultimately uh, create that culture. So, Rob, I appreciate you sharing all of that for sure. Well, no, Dominic, it doesn't, it doesn't have to come from the top, but right. what is important is that the top has to buy in. Absolutely. So you, you're wasting your time if you try to create a code of ethics and an integrity program in a company. I hear that. And the leader isn't bought into it, right? In fact, you're almost worse off because then you look hypocritical. So right. any rule that's in the code of ethics, what we did was I went to the executive team. I'm on the executive team at the company. I went to the rest of the executive team and said, all right. Here are some key elements of the code. Um, but before we make it official, before we start sending it out and talking about it, I want to make sure that everybody in the room is bought in. And by bought in, I mean, not only do you have to, to abide by it, but if somebody on your team breaks the rule, and I don't care if it's the best employee on your team, you've got to follow through and there have to be consequences. And the, the best example of this was um, romance at work. Mm. Um so many problems we've seen when leadership CEOs end up using their position to get somebody at the a, a lower level employee to have sex with them or to get involved in some sort of romantic relationship. Right. And these things always seem to end up coming back, embarrassing the leader, embarrassing the company. So I went into the rest of the executive team and said, I propose that the executive team, this only applies to the top 12 people in the company, gotcha. but for the, for the 12 of us, we should not be having a, relate, a romantic relationship with anyone in the company. Why don't we just agree as part of our rules that if you're on the executive team at the company, you're a leader at the company, you will not have a romantic relationship with anyone else at the company. And you know what? There was silence for a moment when I proposed it. Um, one person 
laughed and said, oh, Rob, we all are married or in relationships anyway, so it shouldn't really matter. And I said, I know it shouldn't matter, but from what I read online, being married doesn't stop people from doing this sort of thing, right? Absolutely right. So, I, so I said, again, everybody, are you in? Do you want to do this? And we talked about it. And then what we did is we went around the room and each person had to say, I'm in. And by doing it that way, we all committed to each other that this was something we were going to follow. And then we put it in our code of ethics. Then we talked about it to the rest of the company. I'm sure it broke a lot of hearts that the, that the executives were right. off limits. Right. Actually, not at all, right? <laughs> but, but, but I'll tell you, by, talk, by being specific about it, by not leaving it vague, right? We were very specific about it. We committed to it with each other. It's a lot less likely to be a problem. And by the way, if it becomes a problem, it gets, it's pretty easy to deal with because who's going to be held responsible? person that broke the rule. All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. This fresh coat of The Startup Life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexo series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, feel your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. This episode of The Startup Life is sponsored by SaveTheChildren.org. Startup Nation, Save the Children believes every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, they work every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. They deliver lasting results for millions of children, including those hardest to reach. They do whatever it takes for children every day and in times of crisis transforming their lives and the future we share. Startup Nation, right now, the coronavirus is the biggest global health crisis in our lifetime. It threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers, out of school, and exposed to violence and exploitation. Child poverty is rising. With your support, we can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. Here are some ways your support can make a difference. For just $5, you can buy a baby's first book, providing comfort and inspiring lifelong learning. And for $25, you can serve a nutritious breakfast and lunch to five out-of-school children in need. And there's many other ways you can help support Startup Nation. So go to savethechildren.org slash savekids or www.savethechildren.org forward slash savekids. So if you're ready to make a difference, Startup Nation, remember, savethechildren.org. Make the change for children. 
The startup life is powered by Ladder. Startup Nation, as an entrepreneur, you are the engine that powers your business. We have had many entrepreneurs on the show, from those that played Division II basketball, quite a few Ironman participants, and even an NFL quarterback. And the one thing they all have in common is that they know getting early morning workout wins leads to business success for the day. However, it's super important what fuel you use for your workout to get that early morning success. And that's where Ladder comes in. Ladder is a sports nutrition company founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party that is trusted by all major professional sports organizations, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and more to verify the highest standards for quality, but more importantly, safety. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Personally, I like superfood greens. Not only does it include the most essential nutrients that are hard to get in your diet, like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins, vitamin D, they also included the Rodelio root, which helps keep you healthier when stress is high, but also it helps support immunity according to many studies. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off at ladder.sport. So maybe you're not trying to be a four-time league MVP or a seven-time Mr. Olympia, but you still need the tools to elevate your health that elevates your business. So go with Ladder and prepare to get better every day. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to Rob Chestnut, Chief Ethics Officer of Airbnb. So, Rob, you also talking about in your book that, you know, uh, you know, you were just talking earlier about how uh, those long drawn out videos made from a third party vendor as far as like about sexual harassment, they come boring and they're kind of used to check a box. But you also say that engaging in and in, in having a code of ethics uh, uh, and engaging in integrity doesn't have to necessarily be a buzzkill. It doesn't have to be like a killjoy. Just kind of talk about that a little bit, if you would. I, th- you know, I think humor is a very effective way to get your point across. And th- there's no rule that says that ethics has to be boring. Right. And the good news is everybody thinks it's going to be boring. So expectations in this area are so low that if you if you have a little bit of fun with it, I've been really surprised about how it resonates with people. So you know, one thing we did. Um, I took a look at the sexual harassment videos. Everybody complains about having to do them. Nobody enjoys it. I talked to my daughter about it. My daughter's 19 years old. Mm-hmm. They made her watch it uh, when she got a job at a restaurant in town. Right. And she, she talked about how all the restaurant staff just blew it off. And I said, well, what can we do then to get the point across? And she said, you should do cup of tea. I said, what's cup of tea? She said, cup of tea is this video. She said that we watched. She said, when I was at a college summer program the year before at Carnegie Mellon, she said, it's a five minute long video. It's stick figures. And it talks about, it compares getting consent to have sex with someone and comparing it to asking someone if they want a cup of tea. Mm. And she said, it's funny. She then for 10 minutes excitedly tells me all about this video, right? She, a year and a half later, she remembers this five minute video. Right. And so then she runs to her computer, gets the computer, pulls up YouTube, and there it is. The thing's got like 9 million views on YouTube. And it's great. And it's funny. It's short. It makes a point. So, And then my daughter said, if it's longer than five minutes, nobody's going to pay attention. Mm. So I'm like, wow. Okay, that's pretty powerful, but right. it makes a lot of sense. So I said to myself, you know what? There's no reason why we can't make a five-minute video and make a, make a point and make it a little bit funny. 
So what we said, decided to do was every month we, we make a short video on something that has to do with ethics, different topic every month. And the only rule is we, we record it on an iPhone. This is nothing fancy. Anybody can do this. Right. Um, we just come up with a funny scenario that relates to uh, the, the topic. So we might, we might have one scenario might be planning for a holiday party where people are buying a lot of alcohol and planning to get wasted. Or um, somebody who is uh, inter- doing interview questions and asking all the wrong inappropriate interview questions. Right. Um, and we do these little videos. And the rule I made was, you know, we're only going to spend an hour filming. There won't be a formal script. We'll just have some ideas. We'll kind of go with it. Won't be professional. Acting will be terrible. Um, but it'll be Airbnb employees doing it. Right. And then we're going to send it out by email. We're not going to force anybody to watch it. We'll put the pressure on ourselves to make it good enough. So right now, every month, between 1,000 and 2,000 employees at Airbnb voluntarily watch an ethics video. Interesting. Right? right? And the response has been incredible. People stop me in the hallway. They stop me on the street between buildings laughing about the video. I have people that say they binge watch all the videos or they have a group that gets together and watch the videos. Um, they have ideas for videos. They want to appear. How can they be an actor in one of the videos? Mm. Um, I'm known as the video guy around <laughs> Airbnb, which is kind of funny for a lawyer. You know, like a 30 year experience. I'm known for videos because right. believe me, I know nothing about how to make, how to make a film, gotcha. but um, they got a little bit of humor and the fact that no one's forced to watch it and their friends are in it actually makes it something that gets through to people um, and they enjoy it and they have fun with it. And that's something any company can do and have a little fun with. Once again, Startup Nation, the book is Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. You can pick that up. Once again, that is available today. You can pick that up at your local uh, bookstore. Uh, We also have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on uh, the podcast. You know, Rob, kind of talk about uh, your experience as a whole working at Airbnb. What's Brian, uh, Brian Chesky, the uh, founder uh, of Airbnb, kind of talk about uh, what's it like working with him and what's it like working at Airbnb as a whole? A lot of people don't know this about Brian. Brian's parents were social workers up in upstate New York. Okay. And that, and Brian never went to business school. You know, you, you think of most uh, you know, business CEOs as you know, business school, um, you know, finance management right. train. Uh, Brian was a design student. Brian went to the Rhode Island school of design um, where they emphasize, by the way, ethical design. Um, and Brian's parents grew up with a real focus on doing right and doing good. So Brian's focus, I think, uh, at, at Airbnb is a little different than a typical company. Brian believes in doing the right thing over the long run um, and not doing something that's just going to boost your stock price up for you know the, this particular week or this particular month. Right. Brian would rather do the right thing by the community. And by then, then do something that makes a little bit more money. And by by acting this way, and by by focusing on the right thing, Brian's focus will actually, we believe, is much much better for the long run. We think the business will do better in the long run because we're focused on trying to do what's right, as opposed to focusing so much exclusively on what the right short term financial answer is. Um, Brian calls it an infinite time horizon. You know, a lot of business CEOs are worried about, you know, I got to hit the number this quarter. I've got to, I've got to hit this particular metric. And that's important. 
But Brian takes a broader view. So a traditional business, you know, in, in much of my adult life, businesses have had one stakeholder, and that is in the investors. Right. Whatever's right for shareholders, that's what you've got to do. And by the way, that concept has been evolved, I think, into whatever's best for shareholders in the short term mm. is what you've got to do. Right. Um, Brian's believes in a in a multiple stakeholder approach, and that is your investors are an important stakeholder, and their interests are important, and they need to be considered when you're making important decisions. Right. However, there are other stakeholders that are important. Employees are important. Um, your customers are important. So at Airbnb, it's guests are important and hosts are important. And the community is important. So you, how you impact the broader community also really matters and needs to be considered when you're making a business decision. So when you make an important decision, inevitably, it will hurt at least one stakeholder. It's hard to be making a business decision that's good for employees, good for all your customers, good for your bottom line, and good for the community. Right. Um, but in the long run, if you consistently make decisions that ignore one of those stakeholders or benefit only one, that's where you get in trouble as a company. So Airbnb believes that you need to, to sit back, look at your decisions, consider the impact of your decisions on all stakeholders, and make sure over time that you're paying the right amount of attention to each of the stakeholder groups. You don't just consistently focus on one. And by doing that, you'll build a more valuable business for the long term. By the way, this is an approach that, um, you know, when Brian first started talking about it, not a lot of people were, were talking about it. Right. But just in the last year, like the business roundtable, you know, with that, that bastion of capitalism, Absolutely. there were, you know, all the major, it seems like, you know, major CEOs from all the top companies are, are members. They have adopted this approach. They, the belief that companies have more that they need to focus on than just their shareholders. They've ador- endorsed this multi-stakeholder approach. And look, you know, Dominic, I, I've, I believe that um, the world's got a lot of big problems. And I've lost faith in government's ability to solve them all. I think government plays a role in it. But government seems to be very deadlocked with partisanship. Mm. Um, I believe that business can play a powerful role in solving some of the world's biggest problems. But business needs to step up and recognize that it, it, it has to have a mission and a purpose. And if you're only, ask yourself, I'd ask each of the, uh, the members of, of Startup Nation out there. Absolutely. Um, what's your purpose? What, why does your business exist? And if your answer is to make a profit, then I don't think that your business is going to be successful in the long run. Uh, profit is not purpose. Now, hopefully you'll make a profit, and the pro- but the profit should be folded back into why do you exist? What are you doing for the world that's good? Why, why do you come to work every day? Um, now, this is important because, um, first of all, employees, data studies are showing that people want to make a positive contribution to the world when they go to work every day. They want to believe that when they're in there working hard, that there is some broader good that is being done through their hard work. Um, they want to be inspired. They want to have a mission that inspires them. So you're, you're going to get longer tenured more inspired, more motivated employees if you have a mission that 
somehow is tied to a greater good in the world. And customers want the same thing. Data is showing that customers are increasingly looking to do business with companies whose values are aligned with their own. And that's why data is also showing that companies that are perceived as ethical, companies that are perceived to have integrity, are outperforming the market. And they're outperforming companies that have no purpose or whose ethics are you know, not only good, but maybe questionable or bad. So if, if you're building a business, you need to put some serious thought early on into why am I existing? What am I doing that's good in the world? How is my mission going to inspire employees and customers to want to do business with me? Because if you don't, in the long run, somebody else is going to is going to come up with a company that is so inspired and it's going to beat you. I want to ask a follow up question because you talked about, you know, uh, government and partisanship and stuff like that. You know, as you know, uh, we're in an election cycle and I want to remind Startup Nation that we are an apolitical show uh, and that, you know, uh, we really try to just help entrepreneurs and Startup Nation to kind of uh, do the best for uh, their businesses and stuff like that. But sometimes you can't, you know, uh, you can't ignore things in government and because they do affect small businesses. But I want to ask you this, you know, for those who are running for election, running for re-election at the, at the government, at the federal level, state level, or local level, what are some of those ethical things that they should be uh, mindful of from like campaign donations to, you know, things like that? But also kind of like going back to what you were saying earlier, what are those some of those things they should uh, really think about as far as like leading the way to help small businesses, leading the way to help uh, their constituents and things of that nature? Kind of share with me a little bit about that, if you would, Rob. I have been discouraged with politics and by the way, this has nothing to do with any one particular party. I don't sure. think either party has a, um, has issues here. I do worry that too many politicians are focused on what's good for their party or what's good for their own personal uh, political benefit. Right. What we need from leaders, we need leaders that are thinking about what's right for the world, what, what's right for our country, what's right for the community that we are elected to be serving. I believe that people are starving for that kind of leadership right now from our politics. And I think people are tired of the partisan bickering and the idea that, you know, we're the uh, politicians that are doing something to help their particular group and aren't thinking bigger than that. I, I do see, I, I, we've already seen it coming in business. We've seen the, oh, oh, this wave in the last several years of demanding more from companies, demanding more from leaders tired of the old bad behavior uh, of leadership uh, and leaders who are uh, enriching themselves personally, financially, in so many ways, and yet not delivering for their communities. We've already seen a backlash against business, and we're seeing now, I think, a powerful trend toward doing good in business. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see that sort of thing in politics. And what, I mean, my message to, to, to leaders of politics is that the broader communities want this from you. And if, if you can deliver on that, if you could do something that, is, that shows that it's not just about you getting reelected or doing something that follows your party's interest, but, but standing up for something that you believe is right, I think that people will respect that and love it. 
Um, but we need it from our politics right now. Hey, Startup Nation. So today's content ran a bit over, and I don't want to get in trouble with my radio partners. So go to the startuplifepodcast.com and catch the bonus content from today's episode. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.